Good morning, everybody. How we doing? We good? Uh, I have no idea what I was going to say. I was, oh, I remember what I was going to do. This is what I want. No, I'm not going to. Okay, open your notes. Get to your notes, if you would, please. And you're going to need a Bible. So you're going to need your notes and a Bible. We're going to jump right in. What we've been doing recently is we've been looking at God's devotion to us. And in particular, the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works in us. How he speaks to us, our ability to hear him that he is always speaking. The issue is not whether or not God is speaking. The issue is whether or not we are in a position and a posture, and listen, walking at a pace that can hear him. Walking at a pace. So it's not just position, positioning myself before God as to to be humble and and station, you know, it's humble and before him. The, the next is to posture myself in such a way as to hear, but then is to be, to, that my life would be going at a pace that I'm not out in front of him. Anybody ever just feel like you're running so fast that everything just, you're leaving things behind? There's a story of a group in, uh, in Africa had hired some, uh, some native Africans to help them get through through the wilderness, and they were driving them pretty hard. They were they had a they had a date by you know they had a set date that they wanted to be where they wanted to be, as typical Europeans and Americans, Westerners. Yeah, everything's about the clock and the calendar and making sure everything's on time and how much it's costing us. And if it goes over, it's going to cost us that much more. And so they kept pushing and pushing and pushing to get these native Africans to to go at their pace. And one day they went to start and the entire crew just sat. And they kept saying to the translator, move them, get them to move. And the translator kept talking to them and finally he came back and the guy said, well, what is the issue here? And they all said, they won't move. Well, why not? They're waiting for their souls to catch up. They're waiting for their souls to catch up. There are moments in time when we move so quickly that it's almost as if we leave our soul behind. We're going about our business. We're doing the things we need to do. We're moving at a clip. You see, God doesn't run. Let me say that again. God does not run. And so our soul is actually, in regard to our soul being wed to the spirit and having a relationship with God, when we're moving at such a pace that we're leaving God behind, it's not because, it's not because he's not willing to be with us. It's not that he isn't speaking with us. It's we're moving at such a pace, we can't hear him. We have been beautifully designed to be wed to God, to walk with God, to sit with God, be still before God, to hear his voice and to be guided. And a lot of that is guided by how we're made. So what I wanna do, now your notes are pretty thick today, but that whole front panel is actually for review and we're not gonna do that today. You can do that on your own. I'm gonna ask you to go to the second panel. So open it up and you're gonna wanna look at the the panel on uh, the far left as you look at it. We're going to start with to where, to the, bless you, to go where, all right? So I'm going to open in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. As we move forward and we, we just, we beseech you, we look in your word and we ask you to speak to us, Lord God. I pray that even now you would still our hearts, that you would meet us where we are, that our minds would be aligned to you, that our posture would be such that we're bowed before you and we're ready to, ready to hear and to listen. 
and that we would be open to your spirit's guidance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the notes, it says something like this. We've been talking about God's ability. God guides us, and he directs us. And then even when we're moving in a direction that we believe is true, God is capable of redirecting us when necessary. So this first paragraph says this. To go where God wants us to go may be more natural than it may seem. And so this is where we're going to go today. God knows who we are. He made us. And he guides us according to that making. We may be thinking, how can this be? I don't always obey God or even know what I'm, what I'm doing. It's some, you know, or even know what I'm doing. Well, sometimes this is where faith comes in. We forget that sometimes uh, that, that everything I am has been ordained by God. Everything. Where I tend to go, what I tend to do, what tends to attract my eyes, my ears, my nose, and my steps. Those things were the, the, you know, those things, I generally go what, to what appeals to me. I have to ask myself the question, do I forget that God knows exactly how I have been made and that he did this on purpose for a purpose? And then in remaking me, creating me, he is now, what he's made me to be is now making me to be more like Christ. We are God's workmanship. So I need you to turn to Ephesians chapter two, if you would. I need you to turn to Ephesians chapter two. I want us to take a look at something here. And I want us to take into consideration that our God knows how he's made us. He knows exactly how he's made us. He knows how he's woven us together. He knows what he's making us to be now. And so that's, that's, the, that's the initial premise here, is that God is so, so wise, so intentional, that he, would, he, he, he is not unaware of who he's made us to be. So if we look at Ephesians 2, uh, starting at verse 8, it says this, it, it is, it, for it is by grace that you have been saved, and this through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. And he goes on to say, for we are God's handiwork or his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I want us to look at that word handiwork for a minute. We're going to actually look at the Old Testament where this is woven together. And we're going to be using some very familiar texts today. But we're going to look at, look at them in a little different context in, in regard to our lives. So here it is. It says we are God's workmanship. The, the, the connotation, the, the, the word picture that comes with this is we are a tapestry. We are a tapestry. So if we think in terms of what a tapestry is, it would be, we could imagine this wall being nothing but threads. And those threads are woven together intricately and on purpose with color and texture and, and design to create something beautiful. That's what each one of us is. We are a tapestry. So each one of us, as we are, are a tapestry. Then we're placed into a body of Christ, which is also a tapestry. And that body, this local body, is part of a universal body that's part of the tapestry. And that body that is part of that generation that exists today that is part of the tapestry is part of the all-time church from beginning to end tapestry. So let's chew on that for one moment. Right now, God is, he wove you together physically he says, this, we're going to look at this in a moment. He wove us together in, in a secret place, in the womb of the mother. He continues to move and weave us now in Christ Jesus through time, through our lives, using everything we have been meant to be and everything that occurs around us. In that, then, he ties us to one another. 
So I myself am a masterpiece of God, but now I'm being tied into a local body of believers, and that in itself is a tapestry, a masterpiece. So as the threads move in and through me to create something beautiful, I now am a thread among you to make something beautiful. And then mosaic, you could say, is a part of the tapestry of the, the regional church that Christ is doing here in North Central Ohio. And as he weaves the body together, and that is part of the national church or the Western church, or the Western church is part of the worldwide church. And all this generation is God moving by his grace to display his incredible wisdom and his grace and his mercy and his love and his very person to all of the heavenlies, everything ever created, as they stand back and marvel at what it is that God is doing among us. But this generation is not the only part of the church that has existed or will exist. But in fact, this generation is woven with every generation that has ever been the church. Everyone who's ever been of faith. And so God is weaving this tapestry from the beginning of time to the end of time. And each one of us is a tiny representation of that which God is doing. We are a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece. He is the master worker. So I want you to imagine this tapestry, this beautiful thing. And this is what I want you to do now. I want you to aim at this, aim your eyes at the stained glass window up front, if you would, please. And I want you to see as many colors as you can see. Pick them out. You don't have to say them out loud. But what I want you to do is I want you to see the colors and the shapes. I want you to be very conscious of them. Just to help along, we've got turquoise and green and red and all kinds of shades of red and purple and violet. If I were a woman, I could probably see about 35 other shades, but I'm not a woman. Now what I want you to do is I want you, as you've picked each color and each shape, now I want you to look at the whole of the thing and how the artist meant it to be. Not as we pick and choose colors and shapes and pick them out and see them for what they are, but how he arranged them and put them together. And the beauty that's there. And not merely the beauty for itself, but the message that it speaks. The law and the prophet and Christ Jesus, the fulfillment of both. The dove of the spirit. the newness of Christ risen with the scars of Christ sacrificed, the body prepared for him. Hmm. Now I want you to ask yourself a question. What color would you get rid of? Pick a color and get rid of it. Whatever color you pick, I'll, I'll remove it. What color doesn't appeal to you? Where was the artist incorrect in the color and shape that he chose? What image doesn't belong? What would you have done differently?
Now take this into account. What would you tell the artist when you told him which color to remove? What would you say to him? What were you thinking? <laughs> Stupid purple. Yellow, are you kidding me? Right? Yeah, I'm actually thinking about getting rid of that. It, bother, it bothers me. I don't like the colors he chose. I don't like the shapes. I hardly like the images at all. Excuse me for one second. Keep looking. So much better. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? I love black. I just like black. And I think a mosaic looks best when it's just black. All the colors are the same, all the shapes are the same, everything's black. Isn't that beautiful? You know what I would tell the artist if you were here right now? That's better. Isn't it beautiful? Don't you love it? So now this is what I want you to do. I want you to turn to whoever's near you and I want you to ask them, or I want you to ask, yeah, I want you to ask them, what part of them do they like most? No, that's too hard. Let, let, let's put it this way. Ask the person next to you, what part of you that you like least? Go. Go, talk to each other. What part of you do you like least? Way easier than talking about what we like most. <laughs> do it. It's church, you're allowed to talk to each other. It's called fellowship. Oh my goodness, introverts. Okay, you guys got it? Now, some of you may have picked propensities or capacities. I had one person say to me, anger. I don't like anger about myself, which is okay, I get that. But you know the interesting thing about what God says about anger? It's not a sin to be angry. It's a sin to sin in your anger, to be angry and sin. So anger in and of itself is not a bad emotion. Providing it's handled with grace and mercy and love and wisdom. We might call it righteous indignation. There are things that happen in this world we should be angry about. And so if for whatever reason I have a propensity toward anger, one of the things I can ask myself is, is it out of control? If I, do I lose my temper? Am I easily agitated? Do I take it out on others? If that's the case, the anger's not the problem. The condition of my heart is the problem. What I haven't done is redeemed anger. I don't understand what God actually meant by being angry, what it means to sin in my anger, and what it is then to redeem my anger, to aim my anger in the right direction at the right thing for the right reasons. Hmm. I hate murder. It makes me angry. That does not make me a sinner. What it makes me is righteous in my indignation. Now, if I take it out by taking the life of a murderer outside of the law, then I have sinned in my anger. Right? Now, the question I might ask us to ask ourselves at this point, why in the world did I just have you have that conversation? 
Why did we look at this piece of art in front of us and decide to dismantle it? To say to the artist, you know, that's, that's nice, but I prefer black. Why would we do that? Let me rephrase Ephesians 5, or excuse me, 2. I am God's tapestry. God, why did you choose that thread? Why did you choose that color? Why did you choose that texture? Why did you choose to tie that knot there, weave me here? God, what were you thinking? I don't know that we give God enough credit about how wise and loving he was as he imagined us before the beginning of time, knowing each one of us by name and where it is he would place us and how he would place us and how he would make us before he placed us and for the purpose of placing us with those with whom we would be woven. As to learn to love what he's made us to be. Come to love and redeem all the things that makes Anthony, Anthony, or Daniel, Daniel, or David, David. We are a workmanship. We are a masterpiece. We are a tapestry. I am, you are, we are. We are God's handiwork. And at some point, it is necessary for us to come to grips with how he's making us and how he has made us to be. Because there we will find freedom and fruitfulness. There we will find joy and peace. There we will find usefulness and effectiveness and productivity. There and only there. As we come to grips with God and start loving how he's making us every little nook and cranny, every piece of hair or lack thereof. So read along with me if you would. Go to Psalm 139. Again, it's a very familiar text, but I want to start looking at it in light of not just the fact that I've been made, but that I have made, been made on purpose and purposely by God and for purposefulness that he desires to know us and for us to know him and to, to, to not only accept what it is we've been made to be, but learn to appreciate and love and respect and honor what we've been made to be and join him in redeeming what I've been made to be that I can be used the way I've been made to be. And do that with great joy and freedom because that's the way I've been made to be. That makes sense? Here we go. Verse one. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Mm. You have searched me and you know me. This is God and his spirit searching us and knowing us. You know when I sit and when I rise. Is that different for everybody? Think about that for a minute. Is that different for everybody? When did you rise this morning? Anybody? If you, if you were up, let's say by seven o'clock, raise your hand. All right, awesome. If you were up by six o'clock, raise your hand. 
Okay. If you're up by five o'clock, raise your hand. All right, the numbers are getting fewer. If you're up by four o'clock, raise your hand. There's four, five. If you're up by three o'clock, raise your hand. You know what's interesting about that? 2.45, God woke me up this morning. You know, you know what's funny about this? We all rise at different times. And we all rise according to the inclination that we have. We all rise according to the inclination that we've been given by God, and he knows us, and so he meets us when we rise. Isn't that fantastic? He searches me, and he knows me, and he finds me when I rise. And for me, it was 2.45, and he met me there. Some would call that the middle of the night. He and I call it good morning. Isn't that fantastic? What I want to make sure we do here is we see how God weaves us, that he knows us each individually so incredibly well, and he loves us right where we are in the way he's made us, that he is willing to meet us when we rise, the way he's made us and inclined us to rise, that he doesn't require that everybody in the room get up at 5 a.m. Isn't that fantastic that God didn't condemn you guys, although he should have, for getting up after 5? Because half the day is gone when you don't get up till 5. Right? But isn't it awesome that that's not what God says? And for some of us to meet God in the midst of the rise, we might ask ourselves, well, when do we generally meet with God? And I would say, oh, about 2.45. And someone else might say five. And someone else may be six. And someone else seven. And somebody else says, you know, I'm better after lunch. Well, fantastic, because Jesus eats lunch too. Some of us, it's evening. Some of it's at night. You know what's really awesome about that? He meets us all when we rise. According to the propensity of our rising, our inclination to rising, he meets us. He doesn't say, meet me at 9, 3, 5, and 10. And if you miss it, you're in trouble. No, he says, no, I know how I've made you. I've searched you and I know you, and I know you like to rise at 10 a.m. I know your soul rises at 10 p.m. Because our rising may not always match our eyelids. Sometimes it's when our soul flies. And so although my eyelids may open at 10, and I at 10 a.m., and I certainly meet him there and he walks me through my day, my soul doesn't fly till 10 p.m. And he meets me in a peculiar way. And you know what he doesn't do? Condemn you. Or tell you you've missed him. Where were you for three o'clock prayers today? Neither does he ask that. Isn't that beautiful? You have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit. Which is a whole other story, by the way. And when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Not merely when we are sitting close in proximity and in word and prayer or worship or fellowship, but in fact, when I seem the furthest away, he still perceives my thoughts. When I'm struggling with distance, he still hears what I'm thinking. He perceives my thoughts. 
And he doesn't tangle them up with Sherry's thoughts. As they fly through the air, they don't get all mingled up and he's going, I can't tell whose thought that is. No, he knows. Isn't that beautiful? He knows us that well. He searches, he knows us. He's there when we sit and he's there when we rise. And he knows my thoughts, not just when I seem close, but even when I seem far away. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are what? What's that next word? You are what? You are familiar with all whose ways? My ways. You, my God, are familiar with my ways. What I'm inclined to do, what I'm interested in, what my tastes are, what aren't my tastes. You're familiar with everything about me, and yet you love me. You know what I love about that? That he's not saying, well, your ways aren't like Don's ways, and so I can't accept your ways. (laughs) Your ways aren't the same as Kathy's ways, and so I love you less or more. He says, no, I know, I'm familiar with your ways. So when I lie, when I sit or when I lie, my ins and my outs, whether close or far, he's familiar with me. He's familiar with my ways, the ways of my thinking, the ways of my emoting, the ways of my walking and my sitting, the ways of my heart, the ways of my mind, the ways of my thinking, Now let me ask you, are we all the same? I had a young lady in my office getting ready for the service. She came in to say hello, and she looked at my blackboard. Has anybody ever seen the blackboard or whiteboard in my office? Anybody, 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 anybody? Okay, okay, there we go. So, you know what you don't want to do? You don't want to think like my blackboard looks. She looked at it and she said, oh my goodness, there are five colors, all kinds of shapes, arrows flying all over the place, and writing, not a single word of which can be read. And she said, what is all that? I said, that's my brain. So she looked at the back side of the board. She says, well, what's this? I said, that's another part of my brain. Then she looked at the whiteboard. She says, is this more of your brain? I said, absolutely. It just flies out of my head all the time. Chalk and ink and... Now, aren't you glad that your ways are not my ways? And aren't you glad you don't think the way I think? And aren't you glad you don't have to be exposed to my brain all the time? And what's so wonderful about this is God is familiar with my ways and your ways. Because he has made you and he is making you and he is redeeming you he's preparing you for works which have been prepared in advance for you to do just the way you've been made to do them. And this is our God. This is the majesty of our God. The sovereignty, the overruling of our God. This is the providence, this is the governing of our God. That he is able and wants to make sure that each one of us is dignified as he has made us. So we read on. 
You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you are familiar with all of my ways. So familiar are you, God, you, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Now, that's amazing. Again, let me go to my brain for a minute. I don't know the words that's going to be coming off my tongue before I know it, before it's said. You ever do that? You're not sure what's going to come out of your mouth? In fact, you're hoping and praying that whatever comes out of your mouth is in line with whatever it is you're doing and with who you're with. Anybody? And yet God is so familiar with my ways. He has searched me to such a degree. He he is so familiar with me that he knows the words before I'm going to say them. And what I love about that is he still lets me say them according to the way I have been made. We could line five teachers up here this morning and all five of us could read from the same text and teach from it. You know what's not going to happen? We're going to use the same words. I know most of you are thinking, then get somebody else up there. Okay, I get it. But that's the beauty of God. That each one of us represents him exactly the way we're designed. Being familiar with our ways, he governs that and makes sure we're woven together with others who would, who would be edified by that. And as he weaves us together and he blends the colors and the textures and the shapes and all the things that come, what he's saying is you fit perfectly right Beep, there. Just the way I've made you. Beep, there. And you're going to affect all these people as your thread crosses just the way I've designed you to affect them. Boop. That's the dignity of our God. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in and behind and before. You know who I am. You know my pace. You know my tempo. You know how you've made me. And you come in and you get, you get around me. That's what he's saying. He gets around us. You know, for some of us who are a little more, we, yeah, he knows when we sit. He knows the way we sit. Some of us like to sit. Anybody here like to sit? You just like to sit. Not a bad thing. You read, you draw, you watch some TV, you watch a movie. You just enjoy sitting. If you, raise your, if, you, if you just enjoy sitting, raise your hand. Awesome. Don't be embarrassed by the fact you like sitting. God made you to be a sitter. Some of us got to sit. I'm not much of a sitter. Now, my wife's more of a sitter. That's, she, you know, she thinks best when she's sitting. She works best when she's sitting. I got to walk. So she sits and I walk. Or if she sits, I fidget around next to her like this. My whole body begins to vibrate and move. You know what's really neat about that? God is familiar with my ways. He sees how I sit or not sit. And he hems me in. He gets right in there next to me. Just as I am. Right where I am. To accomplish what he's created me to accomplish as I am. So you know what, who doesn't you know, like spending a lot of time with me? Sitters. So you know who I'm probably not gonna reach real well? People who like to sit. And that's okay, because there are people who like to sit who will reach the people who like to sit. I'm a mover, I'm a shaker, I'm a goer. You know who I'm gonna relate best to probably? Other kinetic people. And the whole room vibrates when we're together. But that's who we are. That's what we've been made to be. Now, does a busybody need to learn to sit? Yep. Should a sitter learn to walk? Probably. 
But that doesn't change who we've been designed to be. It just means we grow and we morph a little and we adjust. <sighs> before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. And you hem me in behind and before and you do what? You lay your hand upon me. You let me know of your presence, your power, and your conviction. You are there and you are there with me and you remind me that you're there and you place your hand on my heart to let me know that. When? All the time. How? The way I need. Mm. We go on. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is to what? Such knowledge is to what? Wonderful. What knowledge is too wonderful? What knowledge is too wonderful? So let me give you a reason why I asked you to pick the thing you like least about yourself to talk about. First of all, it's the easiest thing. Because every one of us has something about us that we don't like. In fact, most of us know more about what we don't like about ourselves than what we do like about ourselves. And even if we do like ourselves, we don't dare admit it because we're going to be told we're arrogant for liking ourselves. That's unbiblical. In fact, it's a sin. If God made me and loves the way he's made me and intends to use me the way he's made me and I'm going to find my most freedom, most, my, my most, uh, most freeing position and posture to be in him, to rejoice in how he's made me, to be used the way he's made me, then I ought to learn to like how he's made me. And not to, but the problem is this, who am I attributing that like to? The one who's made me. Why would this be so wonderful? Because it's beyond me. This is too wonderful for me to ascertain, too wonderful for me to understand, too wonderful for me to know that the God of the universe, the creator God, the one who is sovereign over all things, rules over all creation, and everyone who's ever been born and will be born. Everyone who's currently walking the face of the earth, God knows them and knows them well. And his children in particular, he knows them in such a way as to be so familiar with them, he knows the words that's gonna come out of their tongue, off their tongue before it's even formed. It's no wonder it's difficult for us to imagine because it's too wonderful to grasp that he knows my name and he has made me as I am and he loves me for what he's making me to be and he'll use me just the way I've been made. Even with all my brokenness and all my limitations and all the things that I am struggling liking about myself, he'll do so. Look what it says. You hem me in before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to what? To attain. God, what you're doing and what you do is just so big and so magnificent and so beautiful and so crazy. I can't even begin to imagine it. But Lord, help me not to despise it or to despise me in it. But to trust that what you have said here you mean and I am in the palm of your hand and you have chosen to make me as I am and use me as you've made me. May that be what's too wonderful for me. That you would do such a thing. Does this make sense this morning? So the psalmist goes on to say, and we're going to kind of breeze through this section. It says, where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. Anybody ever want to hide from God? Or hide yourself from God? 
or hide parts of you from God or pieces of you from God. He said, wherever I go, your spirit is there to meet me. It meets me right in the crux of it. There's nowhere I can hide from you. You know me that well. You are that close to me. Your hand has hemmed me in and behind, and it's upon me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your hand will do what? Will guide me. Your right hand will do what? Hold me fast. Even when I want to flee, God says, no, I'm here. Even when I want to hide, he says, no, I'm here. Even when I want to give up, he says, mm, I'm here. Even when I don't think I can be used the way I made, God says, no, 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 I'm here and I will use you. And I will use you according to how I've made you, whether you even know it or not. Well, why? Because we automatically act as we've been made, being used by God most naturally, without even realizing it. If, surely I say, if I say surely the darkness will hide me and light will become like night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you and the night shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. Verse 13. For you did what? You created my inmost being. Now we gotta stop here for a minute. My inmost being. What is my inmost being? What is my inmost being? What was that? It's our soul. It's the way we've, it's who, it's who we are. So I want to stop here for a minute, if I may. God knows who I am and he, he made me, he wove me together. He knit me together, who I am, my inmost being, the very nature of who I am, every tendency, every inclination, every propensity, every taste, every gift, every strength, every talent, everything that would appeal to me, he is placed there. Remember I said a couple weeks ago, I love the color orange. I love it. But you know what? I didn't pick orange. There was a whole rainbow of colors in front of me, a whole color palette. I could have picked any color I wanted. What color did I pick? The one that jumped out at me. The one that went above all the colors and went boink, just like that. Anybody else? It just jumps off at you. And then you might say, well, when I'm in a bad mood, I like such and such. Fantastic. Why though? Because when you're in a bad mood, that's what appeals to you. It picks you. You don't pick it. That's all knit together in my inmost being. God has done such a thing. But here's where it gets really hard. You ready for this? First of all, we don't always like what our inmost being looks like. Because we don't always like that which we are. Like, I wish I could be other things. I'm ADHD. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? And I had caffeine this morning. Woo, right? <laughs> so I'm ADHD, I've had caffeine, and focus is not my, you know, I wouldn't call that a strength. <laughs> oh yeah, you keep laughing, you. And there are moments when I would love to be super focused, when I would love to be able to sit, be a sitter, be super focused for like six or eight hours like some people can, and write. Ah! This is what it looks like. I have determined in the morning, every, I, I'm, gonna, I've, I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna type. And I'm gonna type what's inside of me and get it out and I'm gonna focus. And I'm gonna focus on it. I'm focusing. I'm focusing. 
You know what I find myself doing though? Focusing on the focus. So now I'm so focused on focusing that I'm only focused on focusing. And I'm like this, and I get like four words out. And then, you know what I hope happens? My phone rings. No, I hope it rings, because then I can stop focusing. So I focus, and I'm typing. You know how long that lasts for me? Seven minutes. Seven. Seven minutes. Seven. Everybody do this. Seven minutes. All right, for some of you, y'all can sit forever. I can sit for seven minutes. Then you know what I have to do? I have to run for ten. Then I come back and I sit for seven more minutes. I would love to be focused, but I'm not. You know, so what I had to do? I had to learn to love how God made me and to learn how to function as God has made me and to be the productive person I'm supposed to be, producing the things I'm supposed to produce as God made me. Seven minutes is well, that's all I get. Seven. I better get a lot done in a short period of time. And I do. Because that's the way God has made me. But sometimes I watch somebody who can sit and be focused and I, I've, I'm envious or I feel guilty. Anybody ever feel that way? You look at how somebody else functions and you wish you could be like that and you can't be like that and so you feel guilty or ashamed. Anybody? Raise your hand if that's how you feel. I feel that way. You might feel that way. We can all feel that way together. Woo! Then God reminds me of something. Anthony, shh. I made you the way you are. And if I made you the way you are, then I've made you to focus the length of time I've asked you to focus. And I've enabled you to produce in the manner which you produce, the way you're supposed to produce, in the minutes of focus that I give you. Hmm. Could you imagine if we all began to recognize God's voice in that? Let's go back to the text for a minute. Where was I? Thank you. For you created my inmost being. You know how I work. You know how I feel. You know why I feel the way I feel. You know what appeals to me. You know what tastes good to me. You know what doesn't taste good to me. You know what my inclinations are and what they aren't. You knit me together in my mother's what? Womb. Now this is, this is we're gonna end here and we're gonna finish these notes up next week. But let's put these two things. Becca, come up here for me. I just, I wanna hang with Becca for a minute. Becca, you have a seat right here. And I really have no intentions for you, Becca, except for you to sit next to me. Because I have another inclination. You ready? You know what another inclination I have is? I like being with people. And I hate it when I have to stand up here because some people hit up in the top of the sanctuary, or the top of the balcony, so they couldn't see me. And I'm waving at them right now. And they're all waving back. One of them stuck his tongue out. Okay, so there you go. See, there are two things here that I think when we read over this verse we miss, we kind of blend together as if they're not different. He says, you've made my inmost being. Then you knit me together in my mother's womb. Part of it is my person. Listen to me closely, please. The rest of it is the package. Hmm. Let me say that again. The first part is the person, who I am. The next is the package, what I am. In other words, God who made my inmost being knew exactly what to put it in to carry it to reflect Jesus best. Male or female. 
balder with hair. Wide or narrow. Notice I went wide over here, narrow over here. <laughs> facial hair, no facial hair. Low pitched voice, high pitched voice. What color eyes do you have? Blue, Blue eyes, brown eyes. What, ne- what ethnicity are you? Okay, Italian and <laughs> Mansfield. To this body right now, it's older, younger. Less educated, more educated. ADD, a little more focus. Both of us like to talk a lot. You know what God did on purpose? On purpose? He not only made my inmost being to be who it is he designed me to be, but he knew exactly what package to put it in that it would represent him most beautifully, most effectively. How many of us would rail against that truth right now? How many of us wish we were taller? Had more hair? Had a smaller waistline? Had a bigger waistline? How many of us wish that we could grow a beard? <laughs> One guy goes, Ee. How many of us wish we had a different intellect, different gifts, different strengths, different limitations? Longer attention span, shorter attention span. How many of us wish that we had big hands, small hands, large feet or small feet? Run fast or run slow? Eat liver or eat chocolate? Eat both, not chocolate-covered liver. (laughs) If that's you, then you don't even belong here. (laughs) What do I want us to leave with today? I want us to leave coming to grips with the fact that we have been made on purpose by God, as we are. Needing to be redeemed, certainly. Needing to be honed and shaped, yes, into the likeness of Christ, but never away from who he's made you to be, but in fact to redeem who he has made you to be and use you according to that making. And that so when you begin to go about life and you are drawn to certain things, you can realize that it is the Holy Spirit working in communion with you to move you in the direction that God has made you to move because of how he's made you and how he's making you. And then for us to say to God, I don't like these, 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 these things about who, you, who I am and what you've made me to be and, and how you've built me and constructed me is the same as saying to the artist behind me, I hate blue. Why did you put blue there? Purple, what are you talking about? And Jesus' face should actually be orange. Because as we speak to God about who we are, and we do, whether we use words or not, we are essentially telling him, whether or not we like what he's done, can use what he's done. Whether what he's done is right or wrong, useful or not useful. Band, go ahead and get in place if you would. So there's a lot of notes in your hands today, a lot, a lot of notes, and we're gonna finish them up next week, but this is what I would encourage us all to do this week. Go home and read through the scriptures and all the verses and all the passages that are listed there in the order in which they've been designed. 
Because I want, I want to see us all come to grips with the fact that each one of us has been wonderfully made, beautifully made, mysteriously made, and purposely made, just as we are. And that in Christ Jesus, now he is redeeming that. Not changing who we are as people, but making us more and more like in the likeness of Christ. That we would do what we do, the way we do it, the way Jesus would do it. Him and me together. And that I am a thread in a tapestry. And for me to pull anything out is to say to God, oh no. Take that blue out. What were you thinking there? Why would you have done this? I don't like that. And maybe the concrete exercise this week can be this. I changed the question this morning because it's really easy for us to choose the things we don't like about ourselves because we're really, really well acquainted with that. This week, let's spend the time doing this. God, this is what I like you made. This is what I like about how you made me. This, this, listen, this is, how, uh, this is what I like about how you have made me. Do that this week. Thank him for every thread that he's weaving through you, every color, every texture, every gift, every talent, every strength, every limitation. And give him honor for being the artist that he is and the wise and loving God that he is, that he knew you before time and he knit you together inside and out exactly the way he wants you. And fall in love with that. Not because we arrogantly see ourselves as better, because, but, but that we humbly see that God has done such a great work. Amen? Let's stand and sing.